Welcome to Radio Lumi, an all-audio experience of the Luminato Festival Toronto and its art. We're here with descriptive content, incredible conversations, and a variety of creations and creators to feature for you. We're only on day two, as I said, so we have tons more to come. And the hosts of Radio Lumi are audio description service provider Rebecca Singh, uh, audio describer JJ Hunt, arts consultant and performer Christine Malik, and myself, broadcaster and accessibility consultant Ramia Amadin. Thanks for joining us. And as members of the blind and low vision community, Chris and I, I'll focus on us for a little, we have tons of questions and curiosities about uh, the visual elements of the Luminato Festival, which you may also have as a blind or low vision listener. And Rebecca and JJ, shifting the light on them for a second, are here to answer those questions for us and provide some amazing descriptions and auditory contexts to our lineup. Radio Lumi is a packed project, so many moving pieces, and we want to give a huge thank you and shout out to David W. Bennett for the generous support that's made Radio Lumi possible and uh, ongoing for us. This experience has been and is incredible, and we're so happy to be sharing it with you. And we also want to be directing you to the Luminato website, luminato.com, that's L U. M-I-N-A-T-O dot com, where you can dive even deeper into each of the uh, works of arts and the artists that you'll be hearing from on Radio Lumi. For tonight's programming, join us from now till 11 p.m. Eastern time for great Luminato Festival content being featured on Radio Lumi. This is this accessible, inclusive audio experience filled with captivating audio descriptions, focused conversations about art uh, and incredible art experiences themselves. I want to go through tonight's lineup for you. You heard our festival land acknowledgement put together by Luminato that kicked off our programming. And in a moment, we're going to be describing uh, and introducing the premiere of Henry G20. This is a powerful feature with riveting audio and immersive elements. And there's lots to dig into here. Uh, That's in a moment. Following that, you'll be hearing the conversation between award-winning artistic producers Umberine Aniet and Christine Brubaker called Illuminating Ideas. Fascinating discussion and background on uh, why they've created the things they've created, how that came to be, and really how it sits with them individually. Uh, But I also loved hearing about the collaboration, so that is going to be a treat. And then we'll be tuning in live to the police accountability debate being held at the Small World Theatre in downtown Toronto um, and We'll be receiving live description throughout this debate by audio description service provider Rebecca Singh, who is on location right now. So we're going to get so much info from her details. I'm assuming some background noise. It's going to be really a a lot of color uh, for us here on Radio Lumi. And I love any kind of location features. And to wrap up the night, of course, we have our Guided by Starlight episode, Discovering the Divine. And uh, that will be the way that we end every Radio Lumi night with you um, with a Guided by Starlight episode that includes music, performance, as well as conversation with some amazing musicians and artists. So let's get to today's highlight, the world premiere of Henry G. 20. 
Tonight, we introduce this world premiere of Christine Brubaker and Constantine X. Anastanakis's Henry G. 20, produced by the Henry G. 20 Group, co-commissioned and produced in association with Luminato Festival Toronto and the Bentway Con- Conservancy. Supported by the University of Calgary, Henry G20 is a combination of audio and augmented reality. This is what makes it super interesting to talk about and to describe as well. The audio elements are brought to us uh, in the form of pod plays. And then there's the augmented reality experience, which we got into a little bit last night. Rebecca and I gave you a tease of the armchair experience, which is AKA the full walkthrough of the Henry G 20 app. There's a ton to discuss there. I'm not going to get into it right now, but tune in Sunday because that's when you'll tune in for that full armchair experience of the Henry G 20 app. You don't want to miss it because uh, it is incredible work and incredible description. So Henry G 20, what exactly is this project talking about? Henry G. 20 freely adapts Shakespeare's Henry V for a bold retelling of the conflict between the police and protesters during the June 2010 uh, G20 summit. I was going to say the Henry G. 20 summit. No, the G20 summit in Toronto. So through this mobile app of pod play and augmented reality experiences, Henry G. 20 addresses these unanswered questions from that faithful weekend when hundreds of people, both protesters and innocent bystanders, were detained as part of the largest mass arrest in Canadian history. Director and playwright Christine Brubaker conceived of this adaptation of uh, Henry V in 2014 at the Stratford Festival during her time in the Langham Director's Workshop. And Brubaker was inspired to use the framing of Shakespeare's epic battle to challenge the prevailing narrative around the G20 protests of burning police cars and Antarctic thugs. And the G20 summit, um, the Toronto summit, was a meeting of international heads of state held in June 2010, as I mentioned, which aimed to address the state of the world's economy in the wake of an ongoing global recession. And while these meetings were taking place inside the safe space of a convention center, much of what grabbed the world's attention, on the other hand, took place outside on the streets of Toronto. And a fence had been erected dividing uh, Toronto's downtown into public space and no access zones. Thousands of citizens peacefully gathered to make their voices heard. However, what was primarily captured by the media was the chaos of the black bloc of burning police cars and vandalism, which erupted into clashes between protesters and police. By the time the G ended, over 1,100 bystanders or people were detained and arrested, making it the largest mass arrest. Class class action suits against the Toronto Police Services Board over mass arrests were recently settled in October 2020 after a decade of court proceedings and um, negotiations. And then going back to Henry G. 20, it's this, these are the questions, these are the situations being addressed. And, you know, there's a lot of pause, reflect, understand, even if you weren't necessarily there or don't remember or think, oh, that was over a decade ago. But these questions are relevant now. And I want to talk about it. Uh, before I do give some credit here, Henry G20 features Khadija uh, Roberts Abdullah 
as Henry with Ian Rajaram, Aviva Rostroff, Breton Alama, Christopher Allen, Courtney Stevens, Dylan Evans, Jasmine Chen, Jennifer Wigmore, Netta Rose, Richard Lee, Rick Roberts, and Sedna Fiati. So now... The four of us hosts here on Radio Lumi have gathered around this virtual table to have a discussion regarding what we'll be hearing in a bit, police accountability. And this is a topic that's absolutely palpable right now. It surrounds our social and political atmospheres, and I I feel genuinely that it's deeply rooted into our societal and psychological structures. So we want to kick things off here. Chris, JJ, Rebecca are joining me. And let's go back to the roots of the Henry G20 project, you guys. First of all, thank you for uh, joining me in this discussion. Uh, I thought it would be very fascinating to hear from all of you and not just myself. But how many of you remember the G20 summit that took place in Toronto? I'll start with you, Rebecca. Well, I I do remember it happening. But I it wasn't really so much on my radar because I didn't realize how disruptive it would be. So I knew it was coming. There was some stuff happening outside of Toronto, but um, I I was sort of staying away from the downtown core. And it was only after the fact where I actually knew people who ended up being detained that it, um, that it's sort of destruction um, became evident uh, what its effect on the city and the people. Right. And JJ, how about you? Yeah, I was living in Toronto then, as I as I live in Toronto now. And for me, almost all of my memories are not surprisingly about the police protester interactions, right? I remember the smaller rallies and the protests leading up to the G20. And I remember this threat of rioting, this those black block tactics that protest groups were going to be using. The press kept talking about that incessantly. And then I remember when the the police car police cars were on fire in the streets i mean that was a real stunner for a city that likes to think of itself as toronto the good right and then of course the extraordinary response from the police which seemed really extreme even in the initial stories and images everything about it seemed extreme to me that's what i remember is how extreme the whole time felt Mm, I I really contested the the what I was hearing, even though I wasn't sure exactly what was going on in reality. I was nowhere near the area. I was hearing that this this is what it's supposed to be like. This is what I think is happening. Chris, your memories or recollections. I don't think I was paying as close attention back then. And I try to ask myself now why that is. And I think that the events of the last few years have made us all more conscious about our why we protest when we protest and what happens when we do that and the role that police have in in our day-to-day lives and so kind of like JJ I remember being really shocked um by this this drama happening in our city but also really confused because I definitely felt like I was not understanding the essence of what was going on either inside the convention center or on the street it was all pretty mysterious for me yeah and I want to come back to that as to to how we usually um, as blind or low vision people feel about things like that and how we deal with the confusion of what exactly is happening but um on Sunday, as I mentioned, Rebecca Singh is going to be describing the visuals that come with the the Henry G20 Summit, um, the depictions during our armchair experience of the Henry G20 app. And JJ, 
Have you had a chance to describe some of the police interactions and political atmospheres to a blind or low vision audience? I have. In, in, in about mid-2020, Christine and I covered some of the Black Lives Matter protests in the, in the U.S. and the protests that were around the world for our Talk Description to Me podcast. And, you know, one of the first things we discovered was that there was a real disconnect between the way police officers were dressed and armed at those protests and the way that many folks who don't interpret the world visually thought they would be dressed and armed. So sighted people have watched police uniforms evolve and become more militarized over time through TV dramas and news footage and even daily interactions. But those changes are rarely, if ever, described. So when a newspaper reporter says that, or, or, or a newspaper on TV, a reporter for, for, on TV, for example, says that, uh, you know, 100 police officers are on the scene, people who don't interpret the world visually, they might imagine that that means 100 police officers wearing collar shirts and khakis with a holstered pistol on their belt are there, like figures that look more like the 1950s neighborhood beat cop or something. But in modern protest situations, those police officers will likely be wearing full body armor, full riot gear, armed with pepper spray canisters and orange-tipped rifles to indicate less lethal ammunition. They might have tear gas launchers that look like a cross between a paint gun and a sawed-off shotgun, and they might have plexiglass shields that have defensive and offensive uses. So at the G20 uh, summit, in you know specifically, police officers were wearing helmets with clear face shields and shoulder pads that look like hockey or football equipment, and they had big rectangular clear plastic shields that cover the head and the torso, and loops of handcuffed zip ties that hang from the fronts of their black tactical vest. So when we started describing those types of uniforms and that kind of gear on the podcast, we learned that it was new information for a lot of our listeners. And I think it's fair to say that for some of those listeners who are blind and low vision, it recontextualized their understanding of those police interactions. Yes. And this is why I deliberately use the word psychological. You know, it's rooted uh, into our psychological presence because that shifts so much. Even your description right now of this is what you may have thought, uh, but this is what it actually is. It's like, oh, you know, the the, the situations seem more violent, more, uh, you know, scary um, as as opposed to, OK, the police officers are just, you know, checking out the situation, making sure the protests are going OK. That is um, what a change. Right. And Chris, as a blind person, what do you feel is powerful, in your opinion, about what went on uh, or goes on with um, protests in terms of description? Is it different when you hear it described versus actually being present at the scene? Uh, well, being at the scene is a lot more scary, for sure. And um, I think that hearing them described, actually, if I go to a protest now, having heard some descriptions, I'll probably be more scared than I used to be. And luckily, I've only, you know, I've been to peaceful protests, but there's always it's kind of like a background noise of knowing that protests are a place where dramatic and frightening things happen. And so um, there's even having been at protests, there's so much going on visually that I don't know about. There's signs and people moving and police presence and bystander reactions and all of those things never get described. And so even 
if you're watching something on the news, they'll show it, but they never describe it. And so having had access to audio description of protests is incredibly uh, powerful and uh, alarming. Um, but I also think it helps me to contextualize what's actually going on versus uh, kind of hiding my face and, and not really knowing how violent or dramatic those things can be. So knowing how the police are dressed, knowing what it looks like when someone gets pepper sprayed, that stuff is hard. It's hard to hear. Uh, of course, it's much worse to endure. So uh, it's, it's hard to hear, but important to know. And it makes me able to make a bit more of an, of an informed choice if I do choose to um, put myself in the in the physical space of a protest. I feel like it adds to the desensitization. I feel like you're kind of touching on that. You know, it's, if you don't have it described and you kind of know what's going on, but you're like, well, I have no idea what the, the situations are like, and, and let alone actually think enough about that to, to express it. Um, does it add to the desensitization we have of protests and, and news items in general, I guess? I think that a sighted person is much more vulnerable to that because you might take in, you know, 30 quick images in a day and then you sort of become desensitized. But to listen to a description of one protest could take half an hour. And so that is so immersive that... I don't know if it's possible to become desensitized in the way that a sighted person would by continuously looking at images. I really think the process of dissecting an audio description and spending the time it takes to do that and using all of the words uh, prevents the kind of desensitization that, that a lot of sighted people can be prone to by looking at images repeatedly. And speaking of words, JJ, I'm always thinking, and, and Rebecca as well, I'm always thinking about the language used in description. I really, really pick it apart if I get chances to re-listen. Um, and as well as the stance of the describer in context with the material being described, right? So with police and protests and, and these kind of um, elements, do you get caught up with the language, JJ? Yeah, you know, you have to be so very careful. You always have to be precise with your language in description. That's that's part of the gig. But, you know, when you're describing something that has real world consequences, it, it, it means something different to use, an, uh, you know, the wrong phrase. For example, if, if I'm describing a sitcom scene and say that Ross shoves Rachel instead of Ross bumps Rachel, that's a mistake. But a description user, you know, what are they going to, they're going to be a little confused. They might think poorly of Ross but there are no greater consequences than that. If I'm describing a police interaction and say that a protester shoves an officer instead of a protester bumps an officer, that's entirely different. That's gonna have a serious impact on how a description user will interpret the police response and perhaps everything that follows. So accurate language and judicious neutrality are really extremely important when describing encounters like these. Absolutely. Rebecca, um, the topic of police accountability is a delicate one for many communities and many people. Um, and the voices, of course, feel like they're getting louder and louder. We're living in um, this space right now, the world where I feel like we're talking about it a lot. We're understanding, we're realizing, we're seeing videos, you know, and, and, and getting videos described for us of things that are going on that we're like, what is, what is happening? Um, is the Henry G20 project 
and the timing of it, does it feel meaningful in this sense to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it really, really does, because um, I feel like in the wake of these sort of increased calls that we hear to defund the police, um, the way that uh, police interactions are being woven into um, a more sort of diverse set of conversations um, that society really is having right now. Um, And the fact that here, you know, in Ontario, for sure, and and many other places, governments are actually going in the opposite direction and putting more money into police budgets. I think it is really important that we um, keep being reminded of what the consequences consequences because it's one thing to see um you know to it's it's one thing to to think about um okay i budget as a number you know uh, okay that budget went up but it's another thing to be reminded of or to experience how that is actually used on the ground right like um and it, right this experience really focuses a lot on uh showing us that excess uh the amount of police it it was just absurd it was so it seems so extreme and so wasteful. And one of the things is that the G20 summit itself, in case anybody is um, not totally familiar, happened far away from Toronto. Um, so in the name of the G20 summit, you know, um, this uh, this amount of uh, money and and uh, force uh, was 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 spent at that time. So it's also about um, you know how it's about it's about like people who are protesting something or demonstrating for a reason having um the ability to uh do so and um for the police force not to be necessarily militarized um against them it became really clear to me as I was working on this project that so much of the actions um that we experience through the story, which is based on the, based on, you know, real, uh, real situations is performative. Um, There's, uh, you know, especially with the amount of um, force uh, that, uh, that the police have, um, and the tactics that are used. And so I, I think, I think having that reminder is really important and helps us not to forget the past as we continue to have these um, discussions. And I think it's just a really interesting area to sort of explore um, and look back on on what happened then uh, in that G20 time, um, because we're a little bit further away from the heat of the moment, right? Maybe now we can go, oh, what was actually accomplished, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's a really good point because uh you know and especially with a lot of us around the table kind of having said i'm not really sure what happened at the g20 summit i kind of remember or i knew it was happening but i don't i don't feel like i was in it uh, and i especially don't feel like i was in it at all and because of that and 
fact that this was such a huge uh, event and hugely impactful, I think that the way that the G20, um, the Henry G20 project kind of gets into it, you know, putting that immersive element back in, if you will, um, for those of us who didn't get to experience it the first time or have no clue what that must have been like for people who were actually in it um, is just really, really powerful. So I'm very excited for the armchair experience, if you can't tell. Thank you guys so much, JJ Hunt, Rebecca Singh, and uh, Christine Malik, all three of you for hanging out in this, the virtual roundtable conversation and giving us your uh, two cents and opinions on on um, the, the police accountability side of it uh, and prepping us for the police accountability debate that we'll be hearing shortly. I appreciate it. Great to be here. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks, Ramya. And next on Radio Lumi, uh, we're going to be listening to Artists in Conversations, award-winning artistic producers Umbarine Aniette and Christine Brubaker have an engrossing discussion about themselves, the projects that they worked on, and the impact of some of their uh, incredible artistic involvements. And we're calling this Illuminating Ideas. Um, and of course, Christine Brubaker, her hand in the Henry G20 project um, comes out in this conversation as well. But uh, the whole thing is just... Just absolutely uh, fascinating because you're getting the background, you're getting the behind the scenes, and you're, in a way, kind of getting it before uh, here on Radio Lumi, we get into the actual projects them, themselves. Um, then we'll be tuning in live to the police accountability debate being held at the Small World Theatre. Here is Artist uh, in Discussion. <laughs> 